Alright guys, welcome to CLD Talks. I'm your host Connor Maxwell. Today we speak to Dr. Annette Coburn, who is a Senior Lecturer in Community Education for UWS Lanarkshire Campus. Annette takes us through our experience from starting as a young person, becoming a member of staff and Senior Lecturer, and also the five C's of negotiations. I hope you guys enjoy. Here's Annette Coburn. So Annette, it'd be great if you could just tell us just a wee bit about yourself and your career so far in CLD. Um, first of all, I think I'd like to say to everybody, don't cl- close close down right now because you think if Annette's going to talk about her career in CLD, it's going to be three years of a podcast. I've made some notes, so very briefly, um, because it's not really about me and what I've done. Um, CLD uh, is always about the people that we work with, the learners that we engage with and whatever. But in terms of my own journey, I did start out as a, a young person. I went along to a girls group which was actually a gymnastics club. Um, The reason I went was because I'd heard in 1974 that the Murray Youth Club in East Kilbride had purchased some David Cassidy tickets. So I joined the gymnastics club in order to go and see David Cassidy at Shawfield in 1974. And here I am, how many hundred years later? Um, (laughs) After that, I didn't really make the connection between that, that... adventure with the gymnastics which lasted about six weeks and once the concert was over I ditched going to the gymnastics club. Um, After that in 1975 which is a wee while later um, when I was 15 I joined the Key Youth Centre and I never really left that until 1998 when I I was the senior um, worker and I moved to work in another location. I'm not going to mention everybody that I met and everything that I encountered in the key, but just to say that it was where I coined the term um, of of CLD as a family, where I I began to think about my practice as a a family thing. Um, We are a small family in Scotland and we connect with each other really well across CLD. And that was when I began to understand the relationships that we have in, in practice that are really about caring and loving and, and, and you know, being there for the best of times, but also for the most difficult um, and harrowing of times with and for each other. So that's where I learned my craft, I suppose, in uh, what at the time was Scotland's only experimental youth centre. And then I moved to Lark Hall um, from 1998 to 2003. I was based in Lark Hall and had a remit for um, youth work around the Lark Hall Stonehouse kind of rural area in Etherburn and all those places and and also had a, was a policy advisor uh, to the late great um, councillor Robert Ferguson who was the advisor on youth work for the local authority that I worked in and after that I kind of tripped into um, teaching part-time <laughs> and then full-time at the University of Strathclyde uh, at Jordan Hill, and since 2012, I've been employed here at um, UWS. I would never, when I went to that David Cassidy concert, have ever imagined where that little dip in a toe in the water in CLD would have ever taken me. Um, and that's what CLD is about. It's about opening doors, opening windows, beginning to believe in yourself, beginning to help people. At whatever age you dip a toe in the water, um, CLD works for people in order to ensure that they achieve their full potential. And I think I've probably reached it by now, but um, that's that's as, as much as I would say about my career kind of thing so far. It, but it's, it's just such a, 
it's such a cool start to getting into sort of like youth work and participating in youth work. It was the oper- it was that dangle in the carrot of the concert that yeah. got you in the door, which is then yeah, absolutely this career that you've had. And- I mean, to be honest, until 14, 15, I would, I always would say, oh, I'm not going to youth club. I mean, people went to youth clubs and I would go, no, no, youth club's not for me. Can you say, no, that's not for me at all. Do you know? Um, and yet, here I am teaching youth and community workers now as well. Uh, it's, it is, it's so good. And it's, it's, I suppose it's a lot of the things we speak about as well as opportunity. So then yep. it's opportunities presented to yourself, then how you take that and react to that. And that's the same for then um, young people and adults starting in um, CLD and community education. Yeah. Um, so I know it's, it's, it's dead cool. That's how your start was too. And it's interesting when you say that using the word opportunity, because sometimes, and, and I know this is true from conversations I've had very recently with people in CLD committees um, that I'm involved in. Um, sometimes the opportunities are there, of course. Everybody in CLD knows the potential of CLD. Um, but outside of our family, <laughs> um, the opportunities, having the opportunities in communities doesn't always mean that the people who need us most and who would benefit from um, engaging with CLD and everything that it has to offer doesn't mean that just the opportunities there doesn't mean that they do. And there are a lot of people out there who don't know what we're about, don't know what we're, we do. We're very good at working very closely with the people who are learners, who are what would be called potentially primary clients, but we're not great at t- telling our stories. We're not great at celebrating our success. And historically, I mean, I think we're getting much better at it. The work that, that people like Marion and... and um, Alan at the Standards Council are doing and, and, and practitioners right across Scotland are doing is really good and you know now writing books about practice, now engaging in research about practice and all of that. But historically we have been very poor at spreading the word and telling people those benefits that you've just articulated. I've just you know, who would have said at 14 I'm going to be a lecturer at university? No, it's it's not been in my world. But the idea of CLD is so underplayed in our society. And when we think about where we are just now in terms of um, the situation with COVID and how people need somewhere, I'm not saying need as in, oh, I'm a poor victim, I'm very needy. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't like to victimize people in that sense or, or think of people as somehow needing a quick fix or, you know, here, take that program, take that pill, take that whatever, and it will all be better. We understand that that's not the case. CLD is a process. It's it's not a it's not a, a, a specifically product focused thing. Sure, it might help you to become um, you know more adept at, at a particular skill or whatever. But the process of CLD is about developing the person and the relationships that we all have with the world in order to be the best person that we can be and engage well in the society that we have. And yet, CLD is also you know, often missed and underplayed in those kind of contexts. Yeah, it is, and I, I think that that's we speak about it all the time. That the use yeah. of the use of social media and what we should be doing, we should be far better at sort of spreading the word out there and getting the word out there, so that people sort of don't maybe know what CLD is, and it's something I've said on this podcast before. People sort of maybe understand youth work 
if you speak at it in a general mm-hmm. context, but the idea of CLD and if you say community education, then people don't really understand that. So we've yeah. got a job as the people that are in the role to really do our best to just try and spread the word and let Absolutely. people know how good the, what the stuff we do is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'd so like to... In the podcast, what we're going to do is introduce just something new. We're going to introduce just a sort of challenge for the listeners. So, Annette, if you could just tell us a wee bit about the challenge that we've came up with. It's something that um, has been developed through um, some of the students and we'd like to just share it here. Okay. So one of the things that um, I am very bad at is self-care. And it's the thing, it's it's the last in our um, code of ethics, and I think it should be the first, because self-care, I've heard in very recent times this phrase, too often for me to ignore, is that if we don't look after ourselves, how can we care for others? And so self-care is really important, and I'm, I'm pretty bad at it, but I, I teach a module called Positivity and Community Work, which is introducing positive psychology, and the assessment for that involves um, students uh, at UWS in um, creating a, an artefact, a game, a board game, a quiz or something to introduce positivity to a community group near them. And just recently, there were a couple of groups, the assessments were just a few weeks ago. Um, one of them had invented this thing called a positivity jar, where every day for a week, you write a little note to yourself about something that was positive each day about something that happened in the world. It might be that you've looked out and there was a blue sky and that's very positive, or it might be that something worked really well that you'd been struggling to you know, make work and, and all of a sudden it, it went well. It might be anything at all really that has helped you to feel good about yourself, about the world and, and feel okay. And you bung it into your positivity jar. And then at the end of the week, which was what we were asked to by the by the, the student group. At the end of the week, we came to our class together and we, we talked to each other, not about necessarily what we'd put in the jar, but how we felt. And everybody was saying, yeah, this is such a good exercise because in every day, even if I was feeling a bit low for most of that day, there were things to be positive about. And so the idea of just having a little a little jar sitting there. And strangely, I had cut up lots of bits of paper. And when I when I left it lying around in, in the place that I call my office just now, one of my grandkids had come up and she had done a drawing in one of the bits of paper and, and put it in the jar because she'd worked out. I didn't speak to her about it. I didn't say anything about it. And that then, when I found the jar and I emptied everything out of it and there was this thing, I've now stuck her wee drawing in my fridge. So it's, it just, it then stays with you. The positivity thing can be enhanced. Another group came up with this thing called Positivity Rocks. And the Positivity Rocks thing was about, they spent a lot of time, there were a group of about three or four, and they spent a lot of time painting little rocks, stones. And they also invented one that could be done online, which was like a template to draw a rock and put things on it. But essentially a physical rock out in a park with some instructions hung up on a fence to say, please have a look at our positivity rocks. And if you like one, choose it. They've got different wee phrases, you know, some had wee flowers painted on them, some had just positive words or whatever. And take it and put it somewhere else and take a photo and tweet it. You talked about social media. So they tweeted it. Um, And they did that over a period of about a month. And one of the rocks ended up away by the Kelpies. 
um, because one of the students lived over that way. It yeah. wasn't breaking lockdown. It wasn't, you know, they lived in Falkirk or wherever the Kelpies are. I don't know. Um, I've never been, sorry. And um, the they one ended up, but one strangely had ended up going from either Straven or East Bride and it's landed in Arica <laughs> through three or four different photographic iterations the word has spread about being positive. And that's an assessment for a, a, a class in higher education. Imagine if we had positivity rocks as part of the CLD thing, that we take them all over the place and the world becomes a bit like yarn bobbing. You know, the when people put you know knitted characters and they string them along a pole or they, they, yeah. they put, you know, wrap trees in crochet or whatever. It's a it's a form of activism. And and if we're acting for positivity, I think that's much needed at this moment in time. Um, and that's just a couple of wee self-care things that I would challenge people to do. Try the positivity jar or paint your own wee positivity rock and leave it in a park. Yeah, and what we'll do is we'll, we'll add that in the description so people can find it as well. Um, okay. So we can head to it. But so I, so if you guys are going to like participate in any of the positivity messages, please also um, tweet us at CLD Talks because we'd love to see what people are sort of saying and um, obviously we want to try and get more engagement for CLD practitioners across the country. So if you're listening to it, please let us know. So the next question we'd like to just sort of take you to, Annette, um, is we'd just like to sort of see for your perspective where is CLD just now? Okay, where where CLD is just now and where it might be going, is that the kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, because obviously it's good to know where we've been and it's good to know where we are now. I think where we are now is that, you know, a lot of the things that we've been doing during lockdown have been designed because of the circumstances of a global pandemic. And, and where it is, I would imagine, is, my goodness, haven't we done really well? Haven't we invented and created and discovered and explored and examined and all of those big words, um, loads of stuff, right? Um, that maybe now there's an inclination that says, as we begin to open up, as things begin to um, develop back to face-to-face -face, um, practice, there's maybe a sense in which I'm a wee bit concerned that we, we I don't like the word normal. I've never liked the word normal because there's no such thing. But there's a sense in trying to go back to that, that we might miss some of the brilliant stuff that we've achieved in the last year and a bit during during lockdowns and, and in, in detached youth work, for example, or, you know, detached now walking pedagogy that, that I certainly do with PhD students, for example. And, and why is adult education having to be restricted to indoors when youth work can be undertaken outside again reaching out to people where they're at uh, applies to adult education community-based adult education as much as it applies to youth work so if adults are hanging around a park or are hanging around a bookies or are hanging around wherever they hang around in a pub or a club or whatever i remember in 1982 we were going to spain in the world cup and i put an adult education learn spanish class in this the uh, foyer i was going to say the upstairs function suite of a local pub because I knew the local pub was running a bus to Spain to the World Cup and we put a class on. Now only five folk turned up and after two weeks it wasn't viable so we didn't end up running it but but maybe now we would be more inclined to do that and yeah. maybe now we would be able to do more things in community locations um, outside of a, a kind of dedicated centre type environment. And I know not all CLD happens in a community centre type environment. I'm just saying that that's where we are and we don't want to lose 
what we've gained from COVID in terms of in terms of practice methodologies. Um, I think sometimes um, we we focus very much, and this is I suppose in youth work, um, this idea of the voluntary principle. Uh, but I would imagine, and I, I, I've, I've, this came from a PhD, which is about how young people learn about equality in youth work. I would imagine that this also applies in community development and adult education contexts, where sometimes maybe there's not a voluntary principle, maybe there's not this big statement that says, you know, young, youth work's unique because young people have chosen to attend. Um, adult education's unique, community development's unique, I believe, in the way that we do it. Right? And it's nothing to do with whether people have chosen to attend or not. It's to do with the relationships that we form in our engagement with people. Because in a youth work context, for example, young people don't always choose to attend. Somebody might come along to the local youth project or, or get involved because their best pal's going to it. And their best pal's only going to it because they fancy somebody else that goes to it. So we trip into things. Right, in the way that I went to the David Cassidy gig in 1974. Trip into youth work, not because we've just made this free choice to go, but because if we don't go, our pals will ostracise us or we'll not be part of the in crowd or we'll not feel that we can, you know, there there are lots of reasons. If the youth project is the only thing in a a particular um, rural context that's happening in a village, then of course it's a Wednesday night, you go to the youth club. That doesn't mean to say that you would choose to do that over everything else. It just means that it's the only thing for young people in the youth on a, on a, in a week. So you go along on a Wednesday night. Um, and likewise, adults often come to adult learning for very, very different reasons from the reason, the overt reason that is, is, is promoted or the opportunity that is promoted. Adults often come to adult education or engage, for example, in the adult education side of youth work, which would be about volunteering to become a youth worker or volunteering to, you know, to do training in, in youth work or whatever, is often because of so many circumstances, but trauma that's happened in their lives. Maybe they've had a good experience um, in adult education themselves and they want to get more involved in it or whatever. Um, people come forward for to CLD most of the time, not all of the time, I think because they know that there's more to themselves. And, and are keen to, or there's more to life, and are keen maybe to, to develop that. And we get hung up, particularly in youth work, but I, I guess in other areas, on this idea of the voluntary principle, or for adult education, this idea of employability. And neither of those are, are that important to me. Because where CLD is at is clearly about the relationship. It's clearly about well-being. It's clearly about how we engage people in learning in order to um, enable them to assert their power, to be the person that they can be. And so if we're thinking about where CLD is just now and is going, I'm really um, interested in thinking through this idea of, is it only about employability? Is it only about computing for 40s? I remember going, I looked around one day and went, when did adult education become computing for 40s? When did that happen? Yeah. Is it always about a certificate? Is it all, you know, it's funding. I was talking to some people yesterday about power and the power that funders have. It was an assessed online presentation. And, and they were saying, you know, the power sits with the, with the funders. And I said, no, oh, really? The power sits with the funders? Tell me a, fun, a, a funder, any funder who has ever said, you know, um, this is how you must do it and this is what you must do. 
And if at the end of a project you've kind of got a wee bit of money left over, you know, it's a 10 grand, five grand project, whatever it is, and you've got 800 pound left. And you go on to the, the funder and you say, excuse me, we've, we've managed to be very frugal. You know, we, we cut some corners a couple of places, not to uh, diminish the, the, the project, but it just, we found a way of doing it cheaply, um, more cheaply, and we've got 800 pounds left. Do you want it back? No. It's more paperwork for your funder to unravel all that. And it doesn't look good for them to have funded a project for more money than it really needed. Do you know? Yeah. So, Funders are wanting to, to help. They, they see an investment in the people that the project is for, not in the project itself. You know, like it's about the people that are, are um, requiring some kind of, a, a, you know, um, help or support or whatever, guidance, you know, educational input in order to, to work beyond and reach beyond the current situation. So from that point of view, this idea of employability or the voluntary principle that, that people have to be free to attend, have to get a certificate at the end of it, have to get this, have to get that, is, is kind of strange for me. Whereas the relationships that we have, the relationships that we engage in with, with adults and with young people and in any, any of the three domains of community learning and development practice, um, the relationship is really important. And in my PhD thesis, um, there was this thing called, which I called, instead of the voluntary principle, the negotiation principle. And, and I'll, I'll just explain it very briefly. Um, there's five elements to the negotiation um, of the relationships that we have with people. Um, and particularly, uh, this was grounded in the findings of my, my thesis, which was obviously about youth work. But at the start, the relationship is quite often about conflict because the power sits for the youth worker. The young person rocks up to the, the, the door and immediately there are these adults there and in our society, that means all right, they, they're there. And, and so the conflict is, is one about how do we do business here? You know, how do we respect each other? How do we connect with each other? All of those kind of things can be conflicting for some young people. If somebody comes up to the youth project and it's like sport for people, because what happens is they they will come into the, the project and if they can get somebody to react to something they've done, put a foot in a chair, get your feet off the chair, put a foot in the chair, get your foot, 10 times later, right, you're going to put, put out the night. Oh, really? Chat, 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 verbal, verbal, verbal. It's very conflicting. Youth workers don't like it. Young people don't like it. It's not in either of our interests. But often the relationship starts in that way. Or you're working in a school or a prison or somewhere like that. And the environment is such that they see you as an imposition. They see you as something they have to engage with. Mm -hmm. Because the teachers told them, sit up, shut up, and listen. You're going to get a youth worker now for an hour. You know? So conflict can be inherent in that first phase. And then we get to the point where we start to say, look, you know, we challenge people to think differently. To say, look, it's not because we, you know, we don't want you to be relaxed that we're saying don't put your feet up. But imagine if you had to sit in a chair and somebody had had just had their feet on it. You know, it's you know. So we explain, we talk to people, and we work through the the conflict to this idea of challenge. To say you don't need to be like that. Why are you always angry with me? Why do you always have a frown when you speak to me? I'm only I'm a youth worker. I'm no I'm no some other person in your life who's who's always quite you know in their power and aggressive about it. Um, so we have conversations, mm -hmm. and through the, that dialogue and those conversations, we can begin to challenge young people. So young people 
involving youth work at the challenging kind of end of things would be um, when people are thinking about their identity or people are thinking about, you know, they love their parents, but they don't really know if they agree with them all the time. There's maybe trouble at home. There's maybe having a, a relationship with a, a youth worker in those moments, in those times when you're struggling to find who you are and, and what you want to do and you're being you know, funneled into one direction by the school and another direction by your parents, having a youth worker who is not always neutral, but always there to listen and always there to challenge and create different ways of finding out about things. I can remember having to go into Glasgow to take young people to see, uh, at the time it was called a gay and lesbian cafe, um, because there were none in East Kilbride. There was no group for gay LGBTQI plus mm -hmm. people. There were no groups in anywhere in, in Lanarkshire. I worked in East Kilbride, so it was that whole, that whole area. There was no other youth provision that I could see to take young people to, to just have a conversation with people. Because remember, I'm talking in the maybe 1980s mm -hmm. when there was all the HIV, you know, close 28, blah, blah, blah. It was all horrible. We had to engage people in discussions and learning about difference because otherwise they were going to be abusive to each other. And so I wanted to go to, and we had to go be into the town in a bus, you know, to get to a place to have a conversation with somebody who was, who was, not openly LGBTQI plus, but just able to go to a safe space, and and it was a, uh, it was almost like a, by invitation group, but I wangled an invitation and we got in, yeah. and and those kinds of things are transforming moments for young people. Those are things, those challenges, of thinking about difference and thinking about people differently. In my my PhD thesis, there was a young man who always sticks in my head who said, "Yeah, you know." I, when I come in here, I, I come in here and there's a lot of people that I meet and I normally would cross the road if I saw them outside of here. If I saw them outside of here, I wouldn't even speak to them. I wouldn't think of them as my friends. And yet I come in here and they're my friends. And we're all, we're all kind of different, but actually we all got on okay. And I don't think that goths are terrible people. I just think there are other people who are into different clothes than me. And mm. He ended up, you know, we went on quite a while about it because it was a, a disability sports group as well. And, and you know, there was real mixing and, and there was no, it wasn't a, a separate sports group. It was just that there was an additional support element to it. But down in the games hall, they were all in mixed teams of, you know, male, female, all genders, all that, you know, all abilities. And um, the, the end of that conversation that I had with that young man was, he says, yeah, it's a wee bit like, so I was saying, how do you put that into words? And he said, well, I suppose it's a wee bit like my granny used to tell me, never judge a book by its cover. <laughs> and that stuck with me because he really got what equality was about. It wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't about having an opportunity that maybe you can take up or maybe you can't. It was about accepting and seeing everybody as just like yourself but maybe looking a wee bit different or appearing a wee bit different or acting a wee bit differently, but actually, you know what, we're all human. And, and you know, that's where the, the kind of challenge comes in for young people. How do we, how do they negotiate that terrain, those transitions from the child to the adult? That's really old adolescence talk, but you know what I mean? Yeah, but I think with challenging, it's really important with the challenging that you do have a strong relationship as well, and that's how you build Absolutely. You know, and yes, absolutely. Or you have a disposition where you can very quickly find a language for creating a fast relationship. Mm -hmm. I, and I, I believe I've got that now, but I didn't have it 30 years ago. You know, when I started out, 
things happened and I didn't know how to handle them. Do you know, so uh-huh. you know, there's a transition for you as a practitioner. Just because you've got a degree and you walk out of uni doesn't mean that you'll be able to deal with all those situations, those challenges, yeah. and that you'll have the, the language will just kind of vomit out of you. Sorry, that sounds terrible. <laughs> you know, you, it'll just be there. And actually, if it's not there, you'll say, excuse me, I'm sorry, that sounded terrible. Can I rephrase that, please? You know, you'll have the confidence in your own capacity, your own capability to, to engage in that challenging type of relationship. Yeah. But but if you're not, then it can become aggressive. It can become threatening. Mm-hmm. It can become, you know, the proverbial red rag to a bull that means that, yeah, you and that young person are never going to get on. And that's another thing about the relationship. Not every young person gets on with every youth worker. We are human beings. So mm. just because you have this position of youth worker or adult educator, doesn't mean to say that everybody that comes along to the programme that you're involved in is going to connect with you. You know, that, that has to be worked at. Yeah. Another aspect of the relationship is about change because once, you, once you've got by the kind of conflicting um, perspectives and the challenges are, are beginning to you know, change things, you're moving into a period when actually, you know, people are beginning to change. The relationship changes. Um, as people change, as people develop and grow and understand and become the person that they want to be, they might be more open, they might be more inclined to X, Y, and Z, they might be more disposed to actually, you know, mount a campaign about something that's that's been really annoying them, but they couldn't have done that until they'd they'd come through this this kind of first three, two parts of the, the, the negotiation process that I've identified. And so people will change and the relationship changes. And it moves from one of conflict or guidance or to, to a kind of conscious phase where the worker and the young people are conscious of each other and are conscious of what each other is capable of in a positive sense, as well as maybe some, some underlying um, situations. But the consciousness is also about the conversations that we now have as practitioners in saying, you know, so in employability, why is it that we, you know, we do a 12-week programme and it'll involve CV writing, it'll involve this, it'll involve that, you know, whatever, Um, mock interviews, you know, building your confidence for the interview and all that kind of thing. But you can't teach confidence. You have to, it's a process. You mm-hmm. can't teach it in a 12-week programme. And and preparing you, you know, looking at job adverts and preparing you for all these kind of things. And, and why, you know, if we're conscious and we're having authentic, purposeful dialogue, then what we really are doing in those moments, in those contexts, or what we should be doing in those contexts, is to challenge a system that means that so many people are unemployed, that they need to go to an employability club. To challenge a system that says, you know, um, if you do this, then you'll get a job. And why is it that we all have to have a job? That kind of a paying job. Mm -hmm. Some people could um, be happy with a fairer system in terms of um, support for care, et cetera, et cetera. Um, some people would be happy not having a paid job, but but spending time with family, looking after family, raising a child. However, in lo- you know how, how many people through lockdown have had to balance so many things, and one of them was homeschooling. Now, of course, people are not teachers, but they are the biggest teachers. Parents are the biggest, you know, parents and family are the biggest teachers of of children more than um, teacher teachers. Mm-hmm because they're teaching subjects and we're teaching life 
and I'm not saying there's not an overlap before the two, but the idea of consciousness and saying, yes, employability, we need to do these things. We need to tick these boxes. Funders will pay us because we've said we'll do CV right and we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll do the next thing. But we can also challenge a system. We can also um, do outdoor education as part of a, a, a process of learning about the self and self-care in an employability programme. If we don't care about ourselves, how do we sustain employment? If we abuse drugs, alcohol, whatever, how can we sustain employment? Yes, there are functioning alcoholics, I know about that. But um, we need to be thinking differently about this consciousness um, element of our practice, where the conversation that and the relationship that we have with, with each other um, as um, learners and um, practitioners is about raising consciousness. And we have to be authentic and true to that, because otherwise we, come, we become a formula for skills development. And, and I know there's a thing called skills development in Scotland, and I know it's got a purpose in our society, but sometimes I think it's our society that maybe drives things so far towards skills development that people forget that things can change, society can change. The kind of society we want, when we ask people that question, and, um, the Web Trust have done some research um, and others now on the back of that have done some research on what kind of society is it that we want? What do we want in life? What is the kind of society? And the kind of society that most people say is I want family, friends. I want to have a reasonable living. I want to be able to go, you know, maybe a holiday a year. I want to spend time um, doing things that I want to do. And yet what do we do? We do the opposite. Because we live in a society that's driven by profit and, and gain. So we work longer, we work harder, we, we, you know, we put members of our family to one side. Uh, you know, there's lots that we travel to the other end of the planet to get a better job when actually we're missing our parents at this end of the planet or whatever. You know, I'm not wanting to guilt trip anybody who's listening to this who's, who's in Australia and whose parents are here and they're feeling bad because they've missed them all through COVID. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the society we've got isn't necessarily the one that when we really think about it, we want to be well, we want to be healthy, we want to have family and friends around us and have a good quality of life. Quality of life is entirely different from gross domestic product. So quality of life is something that CLD delivers in bucket loads or not doesn't deliver facilitates for people to develop their own quality of life. Mm. And consciousness is part of that process. And finally, then you get this idea of cooperation. So I call that the five C's where cooperate of, of um, relationships, negotiated relationships in at the time it was youth work, but I think it applies right across the board to CLD. Cooperation is when the power no longer sits with the worker. The power is genuinely a shared process. I'm not saying you give up all your power to a, a learner or a, you know, a practitioner has yeah. no power because we all have power. But the idea is that the power is shared and magic, wonderful, amazing things happen when that, that takes place. I suppose one of the things, one of the things that I was I've, I've been thinking about in terms of the podcast was, and I've mentioned it a couple of times uh, earlier, is this idea of transitions, and and the the shift of people um, to become somebody that they really are comfortable in being and being, and and to be the best they can be and have the best possible life that they can they can live, and that's what we all kind of aspire for. But sometimes transitions are viewed in a very formulaic, 
and often age specific way. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you go from being a learner um, to an educator, that was my transition, you know, you know, to, to be a learner and involved in, in um, practice as a, as a learner, but also then became somebody who worked in practice. So I was an educator, I was, I was a practitioner. Um, and, and that for me was a long, long journey and is a journey that's still going on, mm -hmm. do you know? So transitions aren't, can't be packaged like that, I don't think. But the idea of transition is really important. For me, it should never be planned because in that sense, my question would be whose transition is it? Who's saying how to plan the transition of young people from primary to secondary school or adults from employ full employment to three day a week unemployment, you know, or unemployment? Mm -hmm. who, who, who's deciding that that is a transition and what, what needs to be done to help that? So it can be totally pre-planned. It can't be a 12-week programme or a one-year programme with Benefit Plus or whatever. It can't be that. That's an impossibility because everybody's transition time, every transition is as an experience is different. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's never boring because it's never the same. And CLD practitioners who are listening to this will know that all over the, you know, every time you try something and it might work with two or three people and then you'll always find the next person it doesn't work with. They need a totally different idea, a totally different way of approach, a totally different methodology. And they're still going through a similar transition to the other two or three, but what worked with the first two or three doesn't work with. So we're individual people, and um, but we, we work very well cohesively and connected together. So the idea of transitions is slippery. It's, it can be formulaic. It's always a bit scary. It's always something that, you know, you're taking a leap of faith sometimes in terms of your practice, how will this work? And if this happens, I always remember I work at a colleague, um, Stuart Wright came to me one day and, and he said, you know, I hate when we get adults coming in to volunteer. And then you hear some of their story over a period of months, maybe a year or so, and all's not well with the relationship. And then the next thing you know, they're going to college because we've inspired them to go to college, not, you know, and not intentionally to separate mm -hmm. them from their partner, but that's what happens. And he said, I hate that part of our work. And I was saying, well, the only thing I would say, Stuart, about that is if there was not a problem in the first place, they wouldn't have come to us as a volunteer. So it's not down to us that eventually somebody gets to achieve their potential. Mm -hmm. It's the person who takes the action to achieve their potential. So they dip a toe in the water, as we talked about earlier, for whatever reason it is. And CLD has a myriad of pathways in order to allow people to go for it. Um, and it's always passionate. I think if you've not got the fire in your belly, then you will become formulaic. You'll just do the 12 week program or the 10, you know, you'll offer what you've said on the tin and you'll never get beyond that. And I feel that's absolutely fine. If that's what you're getting paid to do and that's a, it's a job for you, that's fine. For me, I'm sure everybody um, that knows me would agree. It's For me, it's a vocation. It's a calling. I couldn't know be anything other than this. Yeah. I couldn't whatever that word is I couldn't be anything else than what, what I am and so it's never the formulaic but but areas that I think are, are currently problematic for us is we work in um, ages right so there's people who in, in community development terms who say no youth work's youth work it's not community development and I don't understand I actually don't understand how that could possibly be how can you take community development out of youth work I don't know 
tell me and I'll, I'll try and get my head around it. Mm-hmm. But I do not know how to not be looking at analysis of power and thinking about campaigning and thinking about changing the world and the society that we're in with whatever age of person I'm, I'm speaking to. I was talking to my granddaughter yesterday, who's admittedly a year and a half, and I was talking about how, you know, we were going into Morrison's and I was saying, we, we have to wear a mask, but it won't always be like this because things will change, blah, 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 blah. I have conversations with people all the time. It doesn't matter whether they're, you know, two or, or 102. Um, age shouldn't really come into it. But it's a nice way of functioning, uh, it's constructing a functional view of how we organise society in terms of when do you go to school, when do you not go to school. Mm-hmm. But I, maybe that should, you know, maybe that should all be up for grabs and maybe to some extent it is already. Where CLD, I think, at the moment is missing a trick is in um, older people. Um, like my good self at 62 at the end of the month. Um, older people... Um, deserve a youth club. Older people, you know, are enti- should be entitled, as much as young people are entitled to a youth work offer, older people should be entitled to another offer. That's not the offer as you go into a care home or you get somebody to come to your house and look after you. You know, there are older people who, who have, you know, whose quality of life could greatly be enhanced by seeing CLD that as maybe a fourth domain of CLD. So youth work, adult education, older... I mean, I know older people are adults too, but so are young people. But, and if we, if we say it's okay to differentiate between young people and adults, why not older people and adults? Because both young people and older people have got time in their hands. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of adults work or they, they have other things, other responsibilities. So actually, the, the, you know, including older people as a new domain, I think would be quite exciting. I think we miss... Everything that we do around equality and well-being, we miss it so often because we kind of get pigeonholed into after school, working with you know people who are leaving school early, working with LGBTQI plus groups, young carers groups. Um, it seems that a lot of work now is focused on groups and group work rather than um, a more um, a more embracing, a more holistic view. Um, of the world and I think we miss that trick when it comes to well-being because and and you know we've always said that well-being confidence maybe we didn't call it well-being but confidence building achieving potential quality of life those are all basic psychological constructs around well-being and we miss that Um, and and the other thing that I think is really really important is in terms of where we're at and how CLD is maybe transitioning, is that everything we do can't be measured. It's impossible. Yeah. You can't say because somebody did that, they've become that. I, you know, I could say, yes, I had a conversation with um, Ken Graham in 1976 about what he did for a living. And he said that he was going to college and it was a youth and community work course at Jordan Hill. And I said, oh, right, do you need hires for that? And he said, yes, you do. And I said, right, I'm going in for that. And he said, Abby, you need, you need good hires. And I said, no, I've got good, I know, I will have good hires. I was in sixth year at the time, I already had mm-hmm. two in my pocket. And so I went to um, Jordan Hill. Now, I know that the key is part of me. 
I know that had I not went to the key in 1975 because of the David Castic concert, I, I went to the gymnastics club in 1975 because of the David Castic concert, I know that I wouldn't have been here than mm. now. I'm quite convinced of that. Although, actually, I'm also convinced that it would have happened somehow, some other way, later on in my life or whatever. I, I'm just convinced because it's such a it's such a drag for me, not in a bad sense, but a, a calling. I, I, I think I would have found CLD somehow. Yeah. Um, and and so from that point of view, I don't know. But my life has changed. I know my life has changed because of those things. Um, and not because. My life has changed through those different things that have influenced it and impacted on me. The point is, it's not because of anything. It's the whole thing. It's this idea that you can't measure or predict what we offer people in CLD that it will have such and such an outcome. And there's a thing called contribution analysis that some of you will have heard of the logic model or a theory of change model, mm -hmm. right? So both of those models are grounded in something called contribution analysis. Now, for some reason at policy levels and at different levels, they've been trying to force into some kind of measurable thing, some kind of thing that's a wee bit more, more formulaic and, you know, if you do this, then this will happen. That's a computer program. When I was at school and we used to do computer program because we didn't ever get to go near a computer, it was if, then, but, and if, then, so, and if, then. You had to do if, then to write programs and all that. I can't mm. remember it all, but I just remember if, then, but, and if, then, so. So um, we can't claim that as practitioners in CLD. All we can claim is that we make a contribution. And contribution analysis is the theory that sits above um, those kind of um, other more formulaic ways of thinking. Because contribution analysis understands that even if you have everybody in the room hearing the same thing, the message is interpreted differently. Even if everybody appears to be doing the same thing, why they're doing it is different. Even if ever, so you get the point. Yeah. We can only claim that we make a contribution. Therefore, why are we so fixed? Going back to the funding thing that I spoke about earlier, why are we so fixed on the the outputs, the 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 things like certificates that funders don't really aren't really that bothered about, but somehow the world has compelled them to add that into their their criteria, you know, people will get achievement awards, people will get blah, blah. I'm not decrying. It's great when those things happen. But it should be part of that more negotiated relationship rather than if you want to come to this, then you have to do that. Mm -hmm. Or it used to be, if you come to this group, please, 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 I'll buy you a McDonald's. Do you know, I've never ever um, used McDonald's as an excuse for coming to anything I've ever been involved in as a practitioner um, because people need to want to do it in the first place. Yes, I'll feed people when they get here, but it shouldn't be the carrot. It shouldn't be the yeah. thing that they come for. So I suppose David Cassidy, you mentioned, was a carrot for me. And I suppose, yes, in that sense, it was. But that, that idea of measuring everything, if it moves, we measure it. If it, you know, that's something to do with accountability and accountability and accounting is not always to the person that it should be, i.e. The, the, the learner or the, the, the people that we're engaged with. It's to the funder or to the local authority or to the middle manager or to whoever. Um, the accountability that I'm talking about is, or the accounting and accountability is about 
the money that's spent. And that's often wrapped up in a capitalist language of accounting. Mm-hmm. Here's the value for money. You cannot place a value on what CLD offers. Um, what we'll do the now is we'll just have the last question that we put at the end of every podcast. So, Annette, the question is, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to start a career in CLD slash community education? I think the advice I would give is follow your dreams. If this is what you want to do, don't ever let anybody else tell you that you should, you can't, or it's it's not something that you should be able to do. Um, there's a place for everybody in all different areas of um, community education and CLD. And we need new people coming through. We need passion. We need people who are interested and committed. All the other stuff you can learn, you can find out about, you can go to college, uni, you can do in-house training, you can do all sorts of other things about how to become a, a better CLD practitioner. But if you're passionate about it, just go for it. All the podcasting's finally got to Connor and he's lost his voice, so he's asked me to pass on a big thanks to Annette for the conversation. You can all find it on Twitter, at AnnetteColburn59, and for us, it's at CLD Talks. Remember, give us a wee follow and join in the conversation. See you next week. <laughs>